Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 332 of the podcast. It is February 14th, 2019. Joining me today is Jason Burt. He's the owner of eHip Consulting. He's a consultant with an extensive, diverse background with a manufacturing career of leading and coaching organizations to increase levels of efficiency and performance. Using the Toyota Production System, or TPS, approach has allowed him to positively change cultures to achieve sustainable improvements. During his time at Herman Miller, Jason spent 18 months learning TPS directly from Toyota as a Toyota Lean Consultant, and and he'll talk about that in the episode. Toyota and Herman Miller were in a partnership during his time with the company, which allowed him to receive direct coaching from Toyota Senseis for the entire 16 years. I was really interested in talking with Jason about what it was like learning from Toyota and their TSSC organization. That's a group that's done great work with a UCLA eye clinic and a food bank, to name two that I've featured on the blog. So here we talk about a wide range of topics. It's a really good conversation, I think. Uh, Jason talks about uh, a number of things, including common misunderstandings about TPS and lean from his perspective. Toyota's goals of developing people and their clients, knowing results will follow versus an ROI-driven approach. And then how he sometimes has to adapt to work with clients and their expectations if they're not Toyota. So if you'd like to find a link to Jason's website, um, links to some of the good work TSSC has done uh, in the nonprofit realm, you can find all of that and more by going to leanblog.org slash 332. Jason, hi. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I think we'll have a, a lot to talk about today. And, you know, as, as I generally do, I'll, I'll let you as the guest um, introduce yourself and your background and maybe kind of weave into that story, you know, the story about how you got introduced to Lean and the Toyota production system. Uh, sure. Yeah. So my name is Jason Burt. Um, I am the owner of uh, eHip Consulting or Evolve Holdings. Um, I am a consultant in the Lean uh, Toyota production system space. And I really got started within that space back when I was at Herman Miller. I worked for Herman Miller for uh, about 16 years and fortunately was, was there along the journey all the way from the beginning um, back in about 95, um, you know, through to about 2011, I believe is when I left the company. And, and it was a big chunk of their journey. And, and I was able to work side by side with Toyota and, and some great Herman Miller people along the way. Uh, to develop and, and, and learn as much as I could while I was there. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I think, you know, one of the main things to um, delve into here today, your experiences learning from Toyota and, and TSSC, you know, some of my roots originally, you know, I started in the auto industry. It, it wasn't TSSC per se, but I, I had a very influential plant manager who was one of the first GM people to work with Toyota at NUMI. And so I'm curious to explore here. I think there's, I, you know, there's, there's perhaps a difference of learning from uh, a Toyota person or a directly Toyota trained person versus some of the other paths and journeys 
that organizations take. So, so 95 was, was basically the start of the lean journey at Herman Miller. Is that right? Yeah, I would say, you know, there were, there were kind of two factions, I would say. Um, you had uh, Toyota started to work with one of the um, Herman Miller facilities and, and it was a, it was a recent acquisition. I say recent, recent acquisition, but it was an acquisition over a few years past and Toyota started working with that facility. And, and then if you went to, Herman Miller kind of corporate, they had another group there that was TBM based and TBM trained mm-hmm. that was starting to work. And at that point in time, you know, the entire movement or, or everything that was going on in the organization hadn't been brought together. So we kind of had two different groups taking two different approaches um, in 95 when Toyota first started working with us. Yeah, and, and, and TBM, you know, has been a, a pretty well-known consulting group going back to the early 90s. I don't oh, yeah, remember, definitely. I don't remember some of the backgrounds of, of their founders and what their origin story was, but that's interesting. So you had two different groups with different influences, and, and, and I'm curious, I mean, when we say factions, it sounds like that was a little combative, or was there some conflict? Well, there was, because you had, you had different leadership groups, um, that kind of felt um, their approach was the one that Herman Miller should adopt corporately. And, you know, so we, we both kind of, at the time, they were kind of working in their own space or their own world. Um, and it wasn't till um, a couple of years down the road where Herman Miller saw the results that happened at one of the facilities with TSSC's guidance where they said, you know what, the Toyota approach here, um, this is really what we want to do corporate wide. So, um, so for a couple of years there, I wouldn't say it was combative, but it was just, we were trying to exist together um, at the mm-hmm. same time while, you know, knowingly, you know, up or down South and in, in those facilities, they were taking very much the Kaizen, um, you know, uh, workshop approach, you know, you know, a three day event where we were doing more day to day problem solving and Kaizen along with TSSC. So it was, it was different approaches and we just had to, you know, eventually um, figure out what that right approach was for Herman Miller and, and and bring them bring everyone together. Yeah. And I'm kind of jogging my own memory. I just pulled up the um, TBM website and you know their their one founder says that he learned from Shingejitsu, which is a fairly legendary name of you know people who had left Toyota. But yeah, I mean they're they're known, um, or at least the reputation is yep. uh, a heavy focus on Kaizen events. And you know, I think that's where they made their name. So that, that that's an interesting comparison of you know kind of the daily problem solving approach. I mean, you know, when I talk to former Toyota people, you know, Americans or you know, people from Australia. Um, who, who've left Toyota in recent years. I mean, they're always, you know, they always kind of comment when they get out into the broader lean world, they're like, yeah, we didn't do a lot of Kaizen events at yeah. Toyota, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, since I've left Herman Miller, I, I, I've realized how common that is. And, you know, we can talk about that later, but just the, the perspective of lean um, in the broader market, it, it's it's really there's a lot of misunderstandings across the board um, <laughs> compared to someone who is very familiar with the Toyota approach. Yeah. And then that's where, I mean, gosh, you know, if you, I don't, you know, I forget who I heard say this, but you know, if you've seen one journey, one lean journey, you've seen one lean journey, or if you were to ask 
you know, a hundred different companies, what does lean mean to you? There's, you know, maybe consistency in some of the principles, but you know, that pathway of, you know, what, what's the journey look like? How do we change an organization from, from where we are today to more of a, of an ideal state? I mean, there's, there's certainly, I, I think, room for different opinions and different perspectives there, but when it, when it gets into the realm of misunderstandings or incomplete understandings that, that, that creates some other issues, right? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I, and I, you know, I think there are a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying where you say, you know, there, I think there is a room for a lot of different approaches and styles. Um, I think there's mm-hmm. some foundational pieces to the puzzle that, that, you know, we can't walk away from, but, um, you know, I, I experience a lot of people that are very set and saying, you know, this is the way, this is the only way, mm, which yeah. immediately to me is a red flag because mm-hmm. for those of us that are involved in, you know, the Toyota way and in, in, in a lean perspective, you know, we should always be very humble and looking for that learning opportunity. So, you know, we should never really take that approach, but I do see a lot of that in the industry, which is to me a little bit troublesome. Yeah, I, I agree. When I when I hear always or never statements, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Always, you know, you should always start with five S, or you should oh, always yes. do this. Um, and you know, I, mean, I you know, I want to talk a little more about the Herman Miller story. But you know, since you brought up the idea of misunderstandings, you know, one that you know I've talked about in different ways, you know, here in the podcast is one where I think it's it's not just you know, it's not just a different style or an opinion, but one thing that really grinds my gears for what it's worth is when uh, I hear people from more of a Lean Six Sigma background say, well, you know, Lean is all about efficiency and Six Sigma is the approach for quality. Like I, I, I could make the case, you know, I'm probably, you know, preaching to the choir uh, with you on the phone that, well, I think, I think that's factually incorrect because the foundations of, of the Toyota production system are, you know, you could use different words, but, you know, just in time flow and Judoka and built in quality. I mean, quality is a core part of TPS. So to me, that that's a misunderstanding. I'm, I'm curious if you've run across that or, or since you brought up misunderstandings, what's one that that, that, that you see out there? Well, I, th- I think that's a great one. I think, um, you know, I struggle with the, the term lean Six Sigma in itself, um, you know, because I do think that they're two separate things. And I think mm-hmm. there's a, a sense uh, um, in our industry a need to, from a marketing standpoint, find the next thing instead of um, trying to learn and develop your thinking about, I think what, what we're already, you know, trying to work on. Um, so I think, you know, just combining those terms in general, I think creates a misunderstanding and some misconceptions in the marketplace. Um, I, I, you know, the whole, I know me and you have had some conversations about the belt, um, process, uh, you know, on LinkedIn. Um, and I think, you know, I don't, I'm not, a Six Sigma person, I don't know enough about it to talk about it one way or the other. But when I start seeing belts and certifications in the lean or TPS space, that really starts to become bothersome for me because I know that that's not how you learn, right? You learn by getting in the trenches and doing it, not by taking a class online and getting a certificate sent to you in the email. So, so I think there's, there's so many misconceptions and so many paths that we could go on that conversation. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I think it's more about, you know, people finding 
what the right path is for them that's truly mm -hmm. impacting the customer, whether you call it lean, whether you call it TPS, whether you call it, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, your personal operational system, um, mm -hmm. you know, work with the people, do it through the people, solve problems and, you know, uh, yeah. trying to break away from all the noise that's out there in the, in the industry. Sure. So maybe let, let's bring that back then to what it was like being coached by TSSC and, and some of the journey at Herman Miller. I mean, when you, you that, that phrase, giving, getting into the trenches, I mean, was, was that sort of the approach or what, what was it like being coached by the TSSC people? Well, so when I went to TSSC, let me give a little perspective. When I went to TSSC, that was um, many years ago, and I was very young in my career. I was, I was only, gosh, I was 23, I believe, when I went there. Hmm. Um, and it was pretty shocking for myself. Um, I, I was very successful at that point in time at Herman Miller in, you know, you know, I'll, I'll say solving problems, but in, you know, doing uh, the work that was necessary at Herman Miller to advance the system. And when I got to TSSC, I didn't realize how big the gaps were for myself personally in terms of, you know, and I guess the biggest thing for me is just basic problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, when I was at Herm Miller, you know, I was on the floor, I was diving in and getting my hands dirty and, and changing the process and working with the people and, and developing our new system where we were going. But I think because I knew this, you know, I knew Herman Miller, I knew the lines we were working on, I knew the product, it really allowed me to skip a lot of steps in the basic problem solving process. And, and when I went to TSSC, you know, they, that was the difference between working with them is they did not allow me, they forced me to make sure that I was taking the right steps all the way through my journey, no matter how big or small the problem was that I was trying to work with. So, you know, I, I look at my experience at TSSC and it was like boot camp for, for me, for yeah. problem solving and, and, and developing my critical thinking on how to solve problems. It, it really shaped everything for me in my career from that point on in the way that they yeah. taught and coached. So, um, and, and maybe you could can lay out the difference between, um, having TSSC on site with you at Herman Miller versus you, you actually got time to go with TSSC to go work at other companies. Is that what you mean yeah, so, with TSSC? Yep. So I was able to work with TSSC at Herman Miller when I was a, um, I was a work team leader on the paint line. And I think at one point in time I was an ops manager when they were still working there. And then when I came and then at one point in time, I had an opportunity to go to TSSC and actually become a TSSC employee paid for by Herman Miller. Wow. Um, so I wow. spent a year and a half there at TSSC working with different nonprofits, working with different Toyota suppliers, um, and basically just there to learn as much as I could and develop a deeper level of thinking around TPS so that I could bring it back to Herman Miller. So that was the whole purpose of me being there. So it was just great, to learn. Yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity. great opportunity. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, and you know, in more recent years, um, you know, I've shared stuff like this on the blog. I really admire um, some of the work TSSC has done and the stories that they've shared of helping 
improve, you know, reduce delays, improve patient flow in an eye clinic. They did work, you know, with a food bank after hurricane, I think it was hurricane Maria that hit um, Mm -hmm. New York and, you know, and they share these stories and it's great that they volunteer and help different organizations. But one thing that always strikes me is, um, I think, you know, the, the, the humility and the approach, it's not the Toyota person of like, well, I know everything I'm going to fix you. I mean, it sounds like they're really teaching people to fix their own uh, process and to have ownership of it. And, and that, that always strikes me. Was, how, does that line up with, with, with your experiences or if you have a story of maybe working with an, an, a nonprofit or you know, what story comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, there, there's so many of those stories, um, you know, even from my short year and a half. And, and I think the TSSC, when I was there, and I can't speak to it now, uh, it's changed a little bit, but the TSSC, when I was there, you know, their whole purpose was just to develop the people that were there and develop their clients. And it wasn't, it wasn't all about the results in terms of financial results, um, although that was important, but what was really, you know, their focus was, Hey, if we develop the people, both myself and the other people like me and the Toyota employees that were there with working within TSSC. And if you guys can develop those leaders at these organizations, we'll all win. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that was basically the, the thought process. So, you know, going in and, you know, one example that I was just one of my first clients when I was at, at TSSC was a nonprofit company. I'm trying to remember the name of them, but they basically, um, they had a very small facility in Indiana and they employed um, mentally and physically handicapped employees. That was their, mm-hmm. their, their purpose. And just, you know, typical TSSC, they were so focused on what do we do to help them be able to remain employed and employ as many people as possible. Mm. That was the whole reason we were working there was just to continue to develop those leaders and help those employees learn how to be better employees and help them engage more and be able to you know, provide a better, you know, uh, make some more money for themselves and provide a better life for them. So, um, you know, that's just one example where, you know, they're very people focused all the way through. And, you know, I I probably learned more working in that one client that I did in some of the very automotive, you know, bumper manufacturers, just because of a completely different perspective around, you know, as people, you know, being an important resource and a different approach to problem solving. I wasn't trying to solve a very specific, you know, quality issue. I was trying to, you know, most of my problem solving there was how do I make the job fun so that they want to do it? You know, it's a completely off the wall problem solving uh, exercise, but um, it, it was, it, it just created some amazing learning opportunities during my time at TSSC. Yeah. Well, and it's just, you know, uh, I mean, you use the phrase developing people. When I was in, I had an opportunity to go to Japan recently and the, you know, the group was led by some uh, former American Toyota leader, somebody from Australia, and they all had this common theme and, and mental model that, you know, the, I, the, that, that the primary goal is developing people. They described Toyota as a people development company. And they, you know, they, they roughly said there's, there's buckets of companies that you either are a people development company 
or you're not. And so that, that mindset um, might spread as Toyota people leave and go do other work. But I think one of the challenges as uh, a consultant is that you're, all, you're often working with organizations that maybe are more in that bucket of not being a people development company. They're focused on the bottom line. They want ROI. You know, there's, there's a demand for short-term results where I often think about, you know, if you go to the, uh, the book, The Toyota Way, Point one of the 14 principles there is to focus on the long term. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, maybe we can come back to the Herman Miller story again, but jumping ahead to, you know, working with organizations today, are, are, do you find that you're able to operate in that same style or do you have to adjust your style to the client in the situation? Um, unfortunately, I'm... I have to adjust my style in some cases. Um, you know, I'm always looking for those clients, those opportunities where the leadership is truly looking to change their culture for the long term. Uh, and I have some of those clients, but I also have those clients that um, what they're looking for is the bottom line results. And along the way, I'm trying to, you know, teach different leaders within the organization and and develop them to see the benefit of looking long-term. So, you know, I never will stray from what I think or what I believe is the ideal, but yes, you know, there, there are, there's such a gap out there, I believe. And I think there's so many companies that really don't understand the power of TPS, the, the, and what it should really look like or what they're even asking for when they hire someone with that approach. Um, so, so yeah, so many of my clients, you know, I work with a lot of, uh, you know, private equity firms that'll bring me in and, and we'll do turnarounds of companies and as much as possible, you know, I will have kind of my own agenda in the back of my mind where I'm trying to develop the leaders and and take a longer term approach, but that's not necessarily um, the larger picture for them as owners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, you know, going back to some of the starting points at Herman Miller, I mean, Herman Miller may have had pressing business problems or or needs at the time. I mean, what what was some of the impetus as, as you recall for, going down this lean path, developing a Herman Miller production system. Um, what, how much, I'm curious how much of it was business need. Was, was there a philosophy around developing people that was somewhat in place or developed over time? Was well, I, th- I think, you know, it started off with, you know, the one facility that I was at that Toyota started working at. It started off as a very clear business need at the time that facility, you know, um, looking across all the Herman Miller companies, um, was probably last in delivery, last in quality, last in terms of cost mm. of their products um, corporate-wide. It was to the point where, you know, Herman Miller as a corporate entity was looking at either outsourcing our product or just going and buying it elsewhere um, as part of their overall product offering because the, that particular facility was so bad in terms of performance. So, so it started off as a business need, and that's why um, – at the time, the president of that facility reached out, and it's kind of a long story, but eventually got a hold of TSSC, and Mr. Oba came in and, and eventually decided to take us on as a client. Um, and and so it started off that way, but if you look at Herman Miller, 
long history, they are a very people focused company. Mm. So there's a, a strong, you know, culture that was already there that was very empowering to the people. And they really looked at, you know, a lot of the employees as owners. They looked at a lot of the employees as, you know, kind of shared leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think once Toyota came in and started showing the results and we started to kind of explain that approach, the fit was pretty natural, I think, for Herman Miller. Uh, there were still a lot of struggles, you know, anytime change and, and, you know, approach and strategy, there's always those cultural bumps and bruises along the way. But I believe TPS really fit in nicely with the people focus of Herman Miller and it, and it grew from there. So, you know, I think Herman Miller is one of the few companies outside of Toyota and, and a handful of others that I've seen that I believe the culture truly supported um, TPS in the right way um, for the most part, most part across the organization. And that, and that transition was not just financially driven or performance driven. It very much had that people asset to it where, you know, that was a big part of why they were doing it. And it was a big part of the success that they've had over the years in that transformation. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I'll compare and contrast a little bit. You know, when I was at General Motors and we, we got the former NUMI person as, as a new plant manager in 1996, I mean, there, there was a real compelling, clear business need. Uh, our engine plant was uh, really at the bottom of uh, performance in terms of delivery, quality, cost, everything. Uh, but it was, it was a really um, to- combative, if not toxic environment because of decades of history between the company and the union. And so, you know, I, I, I can only imagine how big of a challenge that was culturally for, for Larry, the plant manager to come in after having been at NUMI and he had been at some other plants in the meantime, but um, you know, it's one thing to teach people about different lean concepts and methods around, you know, 5S and Kanban systems, but, but trying mm-hmm. to help crack that nut on, uh, on, around the culture um, was, was really very much an uphill battle there. So, um, you, know, but, but, you know, back to Herman Miller, um, I mean, what, what are your recollections about some of the development of the Herman Miller production system or some of the early steps that were taken, realizing that's not a playbook or a cookbook for others, but, you know, just always curious, you know, what was some of the story or approach within yeah. that plan? I mean, I think we took, um, oh, so specifically that plant, uh, you know, you go back to um, some pretty basic fundamental things. So, um, you know, it was a very large batch production process. You know, I, I was, I was in the paint line. So we were, we, we made small filing cabinets is essentially, you know, like what would be under a desk and yeah. you know, we would paint, you know, 200 black ones and then we paint 300 white ones. And then, you know, we'd have to paint 300 tops and fronts and, you know, very large batch production. And, and, you know, the transition was very much starting with the assembly area, going from multiple cell batch operations, developing an assembly line, um, starting to create some basic flow. And eventually we connected it to the paint line, um, where I was working and, and, you know, we connected that process all the way through. We were very vertically um, 
focused, you know, so we had all the way from rolled steel uh, stamping out the individual components going into the file cabinet all the way through paint assembling out the door. So we had all the control within our four walls. Um, we were able to take it from probably, if I remember the data right, it was about 80 hours worth of internal manufacturing lead time down to about four hours, um, you know, over a, a, a two-year process, I would say. So, you know, fundamentally, it's it's the typical journey. You know, we created some flow. We did a lot of problem solving, worked on changeover, took the paint line changeover from about an hour and a half down to, I believe we were, when I left, we were at about 15 minutes for our powder coat changeover um, from color to color. So, you know, basic fundamental blocking and tackling. But I think, you know, once again, going back to what I think made it successful was Herman Miller invested in developing the people, whether it was people like myself, the general, we had a, a an HMPS team at the time, it wasn't corporate, but locally. And then when we started to spread it corporately, myself and probably about five others, we started working with the top leadership of all the different plants and working through them to start driving the change in all the other facilities. So um, once again, you know, trying to drive through the top leadership, develop the top leadership and drive the improvement and spread it across Herman Miller. But that, that development that we really focus on is what made a lot of the work be sustainable long-term and, and be successful there at Herman Miller. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm curious what, what you faced, um, you know, trying to spread through top management of the plants. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, back to my GM experience on the other side of the state, on the other side of Michigan, um, you know, before the, the new plant manager came in, the top leader for those 800 people, you know, we had internal, GM had internal, essentially lean consultants. We, we didn't mm -hmm. call it lean, but you know, those people had been hired in from uh, Toyota suppliers. And, and there's one, one guy I remember who had been at Nissan and Tennessee and they were brought in, but the existing plant manager basically wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't have support at the top of the plant and, and, and those, the, you know, those the people's time and talent, um, you know, were, were really going, um, going to waste. Um, you know, I'm curious, thinking back to your time at Herman Miller, you know, the, this idea of trying to spread it. I mean, was that being driven by a Herman Miller production system group or did you have good support from, you know, really senior leadership within Herman Miller corporate to try to help get the local plant managers to really um, not just tolerate this or go along, but to, to, to hopefully be enthusiastic about it? Or to lead yeah. It? So, so both. So we had, you know, when I came back from TSSC, um, like I said, there was about uh, six or eight of us. I can't remember that. That was the corporate HMPS team. And, and we were, the ones that were working directly with, you know, all the GMs and VPs, uh, you know, right below the executive level and teaching and coaching and helping to drive it within the organization. But I will be the first to say the reason that that was successful is yes, we had um, our specific executive, our COO at the time mm -hmm. was the president at the facility where TSSC started. So he was there, saw it, experienced it. He eventually became the COO across all of Herman Miller. And he really helped pave the way 
and worked with his team and gave us um, that runway to be successful in spreading it corporate wide across the, all the other facilities. So I, that was, you know, I, I'll go back to that situation and, and, you know, give him the credit uh, mm-hmm. all day long for providing us the platform to be successful in spreading TPS across the Herman Miller, um, you know, facilities. Yeah. I mean, I imagine he got promoted because, uh, that that plant is this is this the same plant that you said was really last in performance? Yes. Yep. How I mean that that must have been quite a turnaround then. It was. It was quite a turnaround, and and I don't know the exact well exact progression of his you know um, career, but it was it was very shortly after that that you know he was basically overseeing um, the majority of the operations, and you know that that's what. He, he basically looked at all the GMs, looked at all of his VPs and said, you know, that the HMPS team has 51% of the vote. And, you know, as much as someone could, you know, take advantage of that, you know, we were a very humble group and didn't really throw that around in any way or anything like that because we wanted to maintain and develop relationships. But, you know, when it did come to that point where we really needed something to happen, we had the support we needed. So, you know, we try, you know, our default was to teach, to coach, to influence. But when there was a big decision that was necessary, that was needed, and we needed to, you know, push through this in terms of for learning or for um, results, we, we had the backing to get things done, which was a, a very nice luxury that a lot of companies and a lot of lean leaders out there don't have. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, and I think of, um, you know, that plant manager, Larry, and, uh, you know, I, you know he, there, it was quite a turnaround at, at the plant where, where I was. It went from being bottom of the barrel to, you know, at least being on the, the top quartile within um, a couple of years as far as the different rankings went. But, you know, I don't, gosh, you know, it, it's a unknowable, there's an unknowable answer to the thought experiment of what had happened if somebody like Larry really progressed through the ranks within General Motors. Somebody who had that Toyota experience, who saw the turnaround and knew what needed to change from a, a leadership style, culture perspective. I don't think people like that have really risen through the ranks at General Motors. You've had people from finance, um, Mary Barr, the current CEO, um, it w- it was an engineer, but I don't know from her background if she was really um, had, had some of those transformational experiences that Larry had at NUMI. You know, it's been said that GM has done great work at the plants, but GM corporate culture is still not a lean culture as much as you can generalize. Sure. Um, you know, cause you know, I think Larry, you know, kept turning plants around and ended up going and retired and taught at university, university of Michigan. It's good to hear that there was a different pathway, um, for a leader to, to, to really help change the, the Herman Miller culture. So I'm, I'm curious, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep reminiscing. I, no, I started to keep no comparing contrasting because these, these, these were parallel, almost the exact same time in the mid nineties in Michigan, a different industry. Yes. I can't no. do the compare and contrast. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. And I think, you know, <laughs> it would be interesting for me being gone now from Herman Miller almost eight years now to see where they're at because shortly after I left, that COO retired and 
from my understanding, some of the replacements were not people, like you just said, they grew up in the HMPS system. They were outsiders, either from, you know, like a GE background, or I, I, I'll get it wrong, I'm not exactly sure, but they had backgrounds that were, that were uniquely different than the TPS mindset or approach. So, you know, I, I don't stay close enough to where Herman Miller is today, but it would be a very interesting study for myself to go back in and truly see where the culture stands today um, in comparison to where it was and where it was going. And um, because we all know that these journeys are so fragile and they can be gone very, very quickly with just one leadership change and not having the right um, you know, progression of, of leader to step in place. And so. we've, we've seen that happening, um, in healthcare, unfortunately. Oh, um, sure. Leadership change, a leader from the outside, um, can really undo a lot very quickly, but, um, yep. I mean, you know, in, in general thinking, you know, back up until the time when you left Herman Miller, I mean, how much would you say the culture changed? I mean, I'm sure, it wasn't becoming a copy of Toyota. It was becoming a better Herman Miller than it had been before. But I mean, what are some of your recollections about, you know, ways that the culture changed? Well, I think, you know, it was, we would do some reflection myself and, and a gentleman, Matt Long uh, there, who's one of the VPs around HMPS. And, and I remember having a conversation with him shortly before I left and we were we were kind of reminiscing because we had been on the journey pretty much together the entire time and we kind of summed it up by saying we can look around and see the philosophies in action so when we started you know thinking about we can see where people are, you know, being treated as the most important resource. We can see where the leaders are going to the Gemba and practicing shop floor focus or, you know, where, where problem solving is the first uh, approach versus going and just buying a new machine. So when, for us, we saw those things happening. We saw those things around us. You know, you're walking through the offices and you see people, in there reflecting and filling out A3s and trying to develop their own thinking around, you know, whatever their problem they're trying to solve. When you see it in action like that, mm -hmm. that was when I, we really started going, wow, this culture has really taken on a path of its own where mm -hmm. it's not dependent on Matt or myself or the other um, HMPS leaders to be driving it every step of the way, it is truly an engine that's feeling itself. And we can see those, those, you know, principles being lived, which, you know, that, that was a, a very, you know, kind of important point, I guess, in our time where we, we really felt like, okay, the engine's going, um, you know, we, we were more concerned about what's going to stop it yeah. than, you know, what do we need to do to keep it moving forward? Um, so that we, our focus, tended to change a little bit. Um, just trying to think of, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, like the discussion we were just talking about, all right, this GM right here is a big proponent, but when we look at the next level down, we don't have anyone with deep thinking that's ready to step into his shoes when he leaves or she leaves, you know, and you yeah. start thinking about those things versus how do we get that GM to do the right thing? Um, so I, you know, we really did, we could, we could literally see, a complete transition in the culture. And it was, it was pretty amazing. 
Yeah. Um, so after leaving Herman Miller, um, can you talk a little bit more about the balance of work that you've done or the differences between being an outside consultant versus I know there's times where you've stepped in as more of an interim executive role. Um, if, you, if you can share um, some of your experiences there. Yeah, it's, that's a, I don't know, it's an interesting, you know, situation. You know, I do a lot of consulting and I have had the opportunity where, um, and I step in to, to oh, run. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, oh, there, no problem. It, 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 it cut out. Um, so actually I'm going to ask if, if you can just start answering that question again and I'll, I'll make an edit. Sorry. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So that's a interesting question. You know, I think since I've left Herman Miller, majority of my work has been in a, you know, true consulting role, but there has been several times where um, someone calls or a client calls and they've had a, a top leader leave and, and I step in and in kind of an interim role. And I think, it really doesn't change my approach much. I think in both scenarios, I'm trying to teach and coach and kind of be that sensei for the people within the organization, trying to think, you know, long-term, how do I, you know, prepare them uh, to continue to be better and better problem solvers every day and, and to drive the culture to the next level. I think, you know, uh, to be perfectly honest, what it typically does is it makes it easier because nine times out of 10 with my clients, the biggest struggle is that top leader um, and getting them to, you know, go down that path. So I would say when I do, you know, act as an interim executive, it, it makes my life easier, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem for the company of how do I set them up for um, success down the road. So no matter what, whether that leader's there and I'm consulting and coaching them or whether we're searching for a leader while I'm in that position, we still have to put someone in that spot that, you know, uh, that's going to believe in those principles and go down that path um, willingly um, with the team. So it's short term, it, it makes it a little bit easier on me. You know, we can drive some results pretty quickly and, and, and influence the company quickly, but I don't think it necessarily is a better thing for the client or that yeah. company because we have to start developing that thinking sooner than later. And, and very rarely do I ever see where we go out there and we find this leader that jumps in and they're uh, 100%, you know, the right Mm -hmm. person to, you know, that's a hundred percent on board with TPS and, and ready to jump in and go. That's, that's not always the case. So, um, so it's, it's interesting, the two different worlds. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, I, I kind of do whatever my, my client is looking for and try and, you know, help them to be successful either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it seems like, again, there's that tension or, uh, maybe it's, you know, tension. Where do you find the balance driving results, developing people, um, drive, you know, developing people, as you were saying earlier, will lead to results. I mean, I guess a lot of that balance point depends on the time horizon of, of the, the PE firm. I mean, you know, there's, there's some private equity firms, you know, have nothing to do with lean, where it's all about really fast, quick, slash and burn, or load up on debt, or do things that maybe aren't great for the long term. But, you know, when I've heard about 
different private equity companies using lean as part of their strategy. It seems like there, there are some that take more of a medium term perspective, some that are willing to hold the company longer to take a longer term perspective. I mean, what do you, do you see this sort of uh, a bell curve or a spectrum of different companies out there? Oh, there's definitely, there's, there's a, there's a broad range and, and you're right. I, there's all, you know, I, I don't know the distribution, but the, the companies that I work with are probably that, uh, you know, medium to long-term private equity mm-hmm. firms where they're, they're not necessarily, you know, trying to buy it and flip it in, you know, 24, 36 months. Um, they're probably looking to hold on to it for at least five years and, and willing to hold on to it longer if it makes sense for the company, if it makes sense for them as a private equity firm. There, like you said, there are a lot of those PE firms out there that are looking for the slash and burn. And I get those calls actually more often than I want yeah. and yeah. have to tell them that that's not something I'm interested in. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's to the point where I, you know, we talked earlier in the show about how do I balance that, you know, the, the request of wanting to be really look long-term and stay true to TPS. But, you know, some companies are, you know, my clients are really just looking for the results. I, you know, for me, that's too far out of the, the realm. You know, the ones that are looking for me to come in and they just want to slash people's jobs and, and do whatever they can to, to make a buck. You know, that's, that's too far, um, too far to one side for me to, to be able to support that. So I, I, I graciously say no to those PE firms and, and I'm pretty happy and fortunate with the ones that I do work with that, you know, they're willing to take a little bit more of a longer term approach. Yeah. Well, that's great. And uh, I want to step back and before we wrap up, you know, stepping back to a little bit bigger picture question, you know, curious your thoughts, your experiences with you know, companies using lean as a strategy for keeping manufacturing jobs in the U.S. As a, uh, uh, you know, what 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 your thoughts are? Why is that important to you personally? Well, it's very important to me personally. I, you know, I guess early in my career, whether I was at when I was at Herman Miller and then when I first started getting into consulting, you know, my, my focus was very much about just outsourcing in general. So mm-hmm. whatever company I was working with, you know, when I was at Herman Miller, we were trying to keep everything internal versus going up to the suppliers. Once I left Herman Miller, I kind of got a different perspective that even if it goes to a supplier or someone, you know, in that value stream, you know, that chain down the road from a supply base standpoint, the jobs are still staying here in the U S and, and, so I, so I really shifted that mindset to just all the work that I see going overseas. And the reason it's such a, a topic for me, I, I talk with a lot of people about it, is I see so many companies that are making that decision out of desperation or out of a reaction versus um, it truly being some thought out strategic move. So, I see these companies, they get backed into a corner because they haven't been doing the right work. They haven't been doing what they need to do to make their company, um, you know, the overall performance better and try and, you know, get away from being backed into a corner to have to take it overseas. So, so they get to this point. So I'm constantly talking with uh, my PE firms, with, uh, you know, every person that I can encouraging people to start as soon as possible because, you know, I, I have clients and, and that they had no other choice. 
you know, they were so far down the road, the gap was so large between their capability and what their competitors were offering, you know, by sourcing it overseas, that they had no choice. And I saw the, uh, or I see the the impact that it has on their employees. And and I, I constantly am trying to encourage companies to think about it now. You know, you may not feel the international pressure, or maybe you do, and it's just not big enough uh, for you to do anything about it. But companies need to be looking internally and, and driving change now and trying to improve their processes so that they don't ever get to that point where they feel desperate and that's all they can do is is move their work to some lower cost country or, or overseas. Yeah, so it's, it's, it, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's kind of a, a soapbox for me, Mark. I, yeah. I apologize, but it, I, I just no, I really want no, no. people to take action. Yeah. And, you know, I think this, that I, I appreciate what you're saying. I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, my roots are in manufacturing and, um, you know, it's just, it's devastating to see the effect of, I mean, you know, my parents grew up in, in two communities. Uh, my mom, Flint, Michigan, my dad, Northeastern Ohio, my dad listens to the podcast. So, so hi dad. But uh, <laughs> those, you know, those communities have been um, really decimated by um, failures, strategic missteps, if you will, within the auto industry, in the case of Flint in Northeastern Ohio, it was the decline of the big, huge steel mills that like, you know, my great grandfather's generation um, yep. worked in in particular. And, you know, we, 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 we can do better. That's right. You know, I've been fortunate. And if you go back in the podcast archives, there are some manufacturing leaders who um, have made lean a really strategic imperative for um, keeping jobs or bringing jobs back. Um, in, into the U.S., so I, I appreciate that perspective. But you know, it's a shame when that you know there there are these strategic missteps, or as you were saying, you know, they haven't been doing the right things along the way. Um, the executives often then get rewarded for the actions that hurt the employees of the off offshoring, the outsourcing, the the panic type decisions. And I mean, and so and that that's a different soapbox. I'll yeah. <laughs> avoid climbing up. Yes, it is very unfortunate, but yes. Um, but you know, so and it sounds like you're, there's a lot of um, really positive stuff that you're doing up there. As, as, as we wrap up, let, let's end it more on a positive note. I mean, like what what's one of the success stories, or even just you know small moments, you know that that makes you smile thinking back to um, some of the, the the impact that you see Lean having uh, with with an organization or individuals. Well, I, I always get just, uh, a, a, you know, I love seeing people at all levels in the organization start to get engaged. Um, one, of, one of my favorite stories is, is from Herman Miller early on in, in our journey. Um, we were doing some work and problem solving on the assembly line. And there was a gentleman there who... I don't even know how it came up, but basically someone went up there and, and asked him something specific about his job. And he looked at them like they were crazy and said, Oh, you want to know my opinion? And he pulled out a folder that was probably <laughs> an inch thick of all yeah. ideas of how yeah. he could improve his work. Yeah. And he had been just waiting and waiting and waiting for someone to actually ask mm -hmm. him what could be done better. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's those types of situations where, you know, you see someone get engaged and you see them, you know, 
just this the level of, of involvement um, and excitement of being able to to make their job better or help someone else on the uh, within the facility so those are the types of things that really get me excited and you know on I probably have one of those stories for just about every client that I've worked yeah. at where, you know, it's someone that, you know, really jumped into it and got involved and got engaged and they were able to solve some problems that, you know, without this type of approach, without using TPS and, and lean, we probably wouldn't have gotten there with that person and they wouldn't have uh, had that light bulb and that, you know, yeah. just, just level sense of involvement happen. So that. That's that's great, and I've I've met nurses who have a similar <laughs> legal pad full of ideas, <laughs> and that and that's that's the opportunity. Um, that's part of the opportunity in healthcare. Have, have you been able to work with healthcare organizations? You know, I I really haven't spent much time with them. Um, like I said, you know, when we were talking earlier before the show, you know, right at my end of Herman Miller, I started working within the healthcare organization, and we started doing some work. Um, within some outpatient um, facilities and um, I've spent some time in some healthcare facilities uh, looking at their operations just for my own personal learning but I haven't done a lot of work um, in them over the years. Well I, I, I hope you would get the opportunity to at some point because um, you know I know with your background and experience and, 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 and mindset you could um, you could really um, help make a big difference. So I hope you'll um, someone, you'll get that opportunity. Um, I appreciate that. My my wife's a nurse, so you know I have lots of conversation with her and her her and all of her friends and other managers and stuff. And and uh, I, I my wife has advised me that it probably doesn't make sense for me to go in there where she works. So <laughs> yeah, be difficult. Well, maybe, but maybe, um, that okay. that'll give you a good perspective just hearing. Yeah. Um, hearing her perspectives. So, yes. um, so, so Jason, where, where can people find you online? How, how would you suggest they, they connect with you in terms of website, or I know you've got an ebook on your website, um, that's available. What, what, what would you suggest to listen? Yeah, to? I, I would say the, you know, I, I'm available on just about all social media, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, but I would say probably the, the one that I spend the most time on is LinkedIn. Um, I'd love for um, any and all of your audience to reach out to me, follow, connect with me. Um, I spend a lot of time out there engaging with people. Um, and then my, my website is another great place to, you know, um, see some articles, some of my other podcasts that I, I've been a guest on. Uh, so we actually have a, a, a link set up specifically for your audience, Mark. Uh, so if you go to my website, which is ehip consulting, E-H-I-I-P consulting.com forward slash lean blog, there'll be a landing page there for your audience where um, you'll be able to go there and, and then you can go through and, and see whatever you want to see on my website. So those are, those are the best places to connect with me. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And um, we encourage people to go check out your blog and, and other stuff on that website. And uh, if people want to search for you on, on LinkedIn, uh, Jason B-U-R-T, Jason Burt. Yes. Thank you. can probably find you there. So Jason, um, I'm really glad that we had the chance to, uh, to, to talk today. Uh, another another uh, Michigan person. I always appreciate connecting with people back in my original home state. Um, any, any other final thought you want to um, share with the listeners, Jason? Uh, no, I, I just really appreciate you having me on the show, Mark. Uh, I've really 
enjoyed uh, uh, connecting with you on LinkedIn and, and having some good conversations out there. So um, yeah. nice, to, nice to talk with you on your show and, and look forward to meeting more of your, your, uh, your audience down the road, hopefully. All right. Well, thanks again. Our, our guest again has been uh, Jason Burt. Um, thank you so much for coming on and, and having a great conversation. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Martin. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.